we inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to The Core here on American Family Radio Network. Glad to have you with us on the program today. This is EFA at The Core. I'm your host, Walker Wildman. Uh, Glad to have you with us on the program this week. You can uh, keep up with the show through multiple means. You can uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can search The Core or AFA at The Core or search my name and then the the show will come up. You can click the subscribe button and the uh, latest podcast will be queued up um, for you to listen to at your convenience, at your leisure. You can uh, listen that way. Um, that's if you can't listen live or you just want to go back and listen, you can listen and subscribe to the podcast. We do have the live streaming option available on our website and the AFR app. AFR.net's our website. And then we have the AFR app on your smartphone on your tablet device you can download that and listen live if you're not around one of our fm radio signals you can uh, listen live on the app or on the website so be sure to take advantage of that we do live stream the audio on facebook we haven't been banned from facebook yet we've been completely nixed from the youtube so we're, we're not able to stream on youtube so we're just on facebook right now and we are uh, on the CORE's Facebook show page, live streaming the video each weekday through that avenue, through that platform. We are doing some testing this week on our streaming platform for AFA at the CORE. We're going to do some some testing internally on our live streaming option that we're hoping to launch in the uh, uh, foreseeable future. So be on the lookout for that uh, announcement. The... Uh, Scripture for the week I want to jump into is Psalm chapter 28. Psalm chapter 28 is where we are this week. I'm just going to read the entire chapter. Psalm of David here. To you, O Lord, I call my rock, and be not deaf to me. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, David says, lest if you be silent to me. I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry for you for help. When I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary, do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward because they do not regard the works of the Lord. Or the works of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield, and him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Two things I want to point out this week in Psalm chapter 28 is that uh, David says he lifts up his hands, verse 2, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. 
So the lifting of hands towards God, the lifting of, of hands is biblical. You know, some people lift up their hands when they're praying to God. Other people lift up their hands when they're worshiping God. Uh, so lifting up hands in praise and adoration towards God is biblical. It's in the Bible. Psalm chapter 28 is just one place of many that lifting up your hands is spoken about, spoken to. The other thing is that uh, David here says that, verse 4, talking about the evildoers, he says, talking to the Lord, give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands, render to them their due reward. And so we do reap what we sow. We do reap, uh, whether it be good or evil, uh, we do reap what we sow in one form or another. And you see that going on in this country right now. I mean, you know, I was talking with my wife this weekend. Are, is America is America going through a time of punishment? Are we go, going through a time of judgment? And I, I don't. I can't read the heart, read the mind of God. I don't um I don't claim to be a prophet. But when you look throughout scripture, you look at nations that turn their back on God. You look at nations that despise God. You look at nations that disobey God and his precepts. And then you look at our nation and you look how our nation has often turned its back on God, how our people have rebelled against God's word, against God's explicit will in our life. And so it, it is America in a in a period of judgment. And I'm not just talking about this current political environment, this current administration. I'm talking about in recent decades. I mean, are, are we going through, in recent decades, have we been going through periods of judgment. And I don't know the answer to that. Eternity will, will tell when we're all uh, in our glorified bodies and we can speak to the Father and we can interact with Jesus. You know, maybe we'll know more about uh, when God intervened, when God brought about judgment on certain nations throughout human history. But we are, uh, as a people, we are worthy of Eternal judgment is what we're worthy of. We're worthy of eternal damnation. We're worthy of eternal casting out. Why? Because as a whole, and I'm talking broadly here as a nation, we've, we've murdered tens of millions of babies as a nation. We've quote-unquote legalized the murderer of tens of millions of babies o over the decades. And that's in the news this month because the Supreme Court set to issue a ruling on that topic this month. We've embraced through multiple avenues, and I'm not just talking legal here. I'm talking cultural, what's acceptable. We've adopted, we've accept, accepted forms of sexual deviancy and claimed that they're normal claimed that they're acceptable, even though in God's eyes, they're clearly not. Adultery is not acceptable under any circumstance. 
Fornication is not acceptable under any circumstance. Homosexuality is not acceptable under any circumstance from biblical standards. But you look at our society today, many people have embraced forms of sexual deviancy. We've become unwise with our finances. We've become poor stewards of our nation's finances. I mean, look at our debt. And if you don't think debt matters, look up how much we're going to be paying in interest the next few years. Just own the debt. Look up how much we're going to be paying in interest. And, well, I can go ahead and tell you the number. We're going to be paying, in the next few years, we're going to be paying more in interest on our debt than we are for our entire Defense Department budget, which is near a trillion. It's like $800, 900000000000 billion, depending on what year it is. So we're going to be paying more to service the debt than we are to fund our entire National defense apparatus. This is, this is not just troops. This is the entire defense department apparatus. We're going to be paying more to fund or to service the debt when than we are to defend the nation's strategic interest on the global stage. That's a problem. That's a problem. We printed over $7 trillion just in the past three years. And these parties cross, these problems cross party lines. This is not just a Biden problem. This was a Trump problem. He was signing trillions of dollars in spending as well. And we spoke about it at the time. And so what it's really going to take, you know, I bring up all the bad news. Well, there is good news. There's optimism. There's reasons to be hopeful because we have an eternal Savior Redemption is offered through Jesus Christ. And as, as Christians, you know, all, what you say, well, what's my role? Well, our role as Christians is to continue to share the truth. Because I believe we're headed into a, a period of darkness in this country, not just economic, although that's looming, uh, but overall, you know, darkness in this country, you see, you know, families are, are having to make decisions on where to spend their money. A lot of people are having trouble paying their, their debt that they owe. But I would say overall, you know, we are currently in and we are heading towards a period of darkness in this country, not just economically, but through other means. And as Christians, we got to be here to share the truth. Because people are going to be looking around, people are going to be, their eyes are going to start uh, opening, and they're going to start looking around, looking for something, looking for hope, looking for some way out. And as the body of Christ, we've just got to be here. We can't get caught flat-footed. We've got to be here. We've got to be ready to share the truth of God's Word. We've got to be ready to encourage repentance. We've got to be ready to encourage people to live righteous lives, obedient lives. And so that's our calling. That's our duty. And I think you and I have been placed here for such a time as this, to be salt and light, to share God's word, to share God's truth, to share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as Christians, I want to encourage you. I want you to not be caught flat-footed. We need to be ready. And all the while that we're preparing to share God's hope with others, we need to be discipling our children. We need to be strengthening our marriages. We need to be loving our families. You know, we had Father's Day this past week. 
we need to um we need to be doing our part what god calls us to do we need to be obedient in all avenues of life this is not the christian life doesn't just happen at church when you're fellowshipping with other believers the christian life doesn't just happen during your prayer time in the morning obedience to god's word needs to take place every day all day and that's my challenge to our audience today. Obedience to God's word needs to take place, needs to take priority all day, every day, all year round, every year until we are in our glorified bodies. Moving to uh, some of our stories I wanted to mention today. the um, We are going to have a special guest on Kevin Hearn, Representative Kevin Hearn from Oklahoma. We're going to have him on to talk about our nation's debt uh, next segment. But I've got this quick story I want to point out that uh, really caught my attention this morning. And this is from Representative Matt Gates out of the, out of the state of Florida. Uh, the IRS, according to, to the records that uh, Gates uncovered, uh, the, the Biden IRS spent approximately $700,000 on firearm ammunition between March and June of this year. So between March and June of 2022, the Internal Revenue Service that's supposed to be collecting taxes, they spent 700000 taxpayer dollars to buy up, to stock up on ammo. What on earth is the IRS doing buying ammo? You talk about a government that's gotten too big. Uh, the increments range from 3200 bucks per purchase to $92,000 per purchase for the Internal Revenue Service. Representative Gates said this, there is concern that this, part of, that this is part of a broader effort to have an entity in the federal government buy up ammo to reduce the amount of ammunition that is in supply, while at the same time making it harder to produce ammo. So is the IRS meddling around in the supply chain of ammunition? Maybe. Or are they just stockpiling in case they need it one day? It's got to be one of the two. Either way, I can tell you this much. Our founding fathers, not only did they not envision an IRS, they sure enough didn't envision an internal revenue service that is armed to the tilt. Why does the IRS need ammo? The answer is they don't. AFA at the core. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You shall have no other gods before me. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. In 1954, Americans lived under constant threat of nuclear attack from the USSR. When America's children practiced duck and cover in classrooms across the country, President Eisenhower realized that our pledge had no distinction from any other republic. After hearing a sermon on February 7th of that year, President Eisenhower signed a law adding the words, Under God, to our pledge. The president recognized the true source of unity, of indivisibility, is unwavering submission to the God of the Bible. As we go about our day, let us all remember the only true source of national unity is submission to Almighty God. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Ambition, it's a driving force behind the world's most successful people, from CEOs to celebrities, influencers to scholarship winners. While ambition can motivate young women to do great things, have you ever considered that your daughter's ambition could have a selfish component? In Galatians 5.20, Paul lists selfish ambition in opposition to the fruit of the Spirit. So when a girl forces herself into fame for her own glory, she works against what God seeks to do in and through her heart. If your girl is naturally driven to excel, take care to guide her ambition into kingdom work rather than self-service. When the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and gentleness in her heart, your girl will reflect Christ rather than the worldly notion of success through selfish ambition. Learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Introducing AFA Streaming a new online platform that hosts all AFA-produced video content, including documentaries, church curriculum, American Family Radio shows, and our Cultural Institute series. The Constitution only works in the atmosphere of Christianity. Critical race theory and intersectionality are new religious frameworks. The Christian must say, as Paul said to the Galatians, There is no new gospel. AFA Streaming is a vital step that we are taking to fulfill our vision to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. You'll find top-notch resources that address the issues of our day related to marriage, family, the sanctity of life, and many others. Start streaming today, streaming.afa.net. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Core here on American Family Radio. Glad to have you with us on the show today. Well, some folks like to hear Walker talk. Other folks don't like to hear Walker talk. So for the latter crowd... Uh, we like to bring on guests. <laughs> we like to bring on guests, and uh, no, I'm I'm poking fun, but we do like to bring on special guests that provide some insight, provide some wisdom to the course. So we try to do that for you each week, and so right now we have on the on the line with us uh, Representative Kevin Hearn. He's uh, from the first congressional district in the state of Oklahoma, and has been a been an expert and a and a and a voice on the national debt and on spending out of Washington, D.C., Representative Hearn, uh, welcome to the court. Walker, it's great to be with you today. Glad to have you on and, and glad to pick your brain on on the issue of stewardship and the issue of spending in this country. Well, uh, before we jump into that topic, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and about your, your time in Congress. Yeah, I, w- I would argue that I'm like a lot of Americans. Uh, I grew up, uh, I'm 60 years old, but grew up in the mountains of Ozark, uh, the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas, very poor, uh, a family that needed a uh, hand up, uh, lived on food stamps and no running water, no indoor plumbing until eighth grade. And then, you know, got out and decided that was not the direction. I was a first generation welfare recipient. My families were, I'm the oldest of five. And I realized that there's a better path in America than living on the government. I saw how downtrodden it kept people and never was encouraging to go out and do butter. So I took the path of uh, getting an education, become an engineer, uh, got into business. 
uh, was in business 35 years before, uh, three years ago, three and a half years ago, decided to run for Congress, first political office, because I wanted to preserve the same opportunities uh, that I had growing up in a, in a less than desirable way to start life. You don't have to start out wealthy to be successful in this country. It's the greatest country in the world. And I had the great fortune when I moved to Oklahoma some 23 years ago to move right next door uh, to, to uh, future Senator Tom Coburn, who taught me about politics and uh, was just a great, uh, great mentor for me about how, how the government should work, fiscally responsible. And so when I went to Congress in 2018, I made it my mission to really work on budgets. I've been in Congress for four years, and the Democrats have never done a budget since I've been there. Mm. And uh, I think you and I know that that's, you can't do that with your family. You can't do that with your business. No city or state can do that. Only in the federal government do we see this kind of lack of consideration or concern about taxpayer dollars, and that's why we see the debt crisis that we're in today. Representative, uh, I have been studying this issue. I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I have been studying this this appropriations issue and the whole congressional budgeting process for uh, this goes back to the Obama days um, and the Tea Party movement. But w- one of the major issues, it's it's a uh, an issue amongst many, but is the lack of, of proper process in Congress. So as you know, you do this every year in Congress, but they, we have these uh, – the, the budgeting process includes – correct. Oh, what is it, about 12 or 13 appropriation bills? 12. 12. Yeah. So 12 appropriation bills that come out of different committees. These committees focus on different parts of the government. Uh, but that's the, the standard way of doing things. That's the textbook way of doing things is to pass 12 appropriation bills that cover different parts of the federal government. And then you, you, you vet those, you vote on those, you review those in each uh, respective committee – and then you pass those one at a time in Congress, uh, and you focus on that um, on that area one at a time. And then the twelve, once all passed, should make up the federal government budget. But the way it's been going, and this is not just under Democrats. This goes back to uh, the Trump days. This goes back to pre twenty eighteen and under the, under the Obama administration. Is Congress has just been bundling all these bills into an, what's called an omnibus are a Consolidated Appropriations Act, and it really makes it impossible to rein in spending when you bundle it all in together with mandatory and non-mandatory. It does, and and, and that's uh, really the biggest problem we have. The last time the budget was actually balanced was in 2001. It was under a Republican House, Republican Senate, and a Democrat president uh, in Clinton. For four years in a row, starting in 97, they did that. They balanced the budget. Actually, we were operating in the black, uh, paying down our debt. And we did that because we knew we all had to. It was, you know, it was people came together, worked on the first responsibility of the federal government as to be good stewards of other people's money. Uh, no, you know, much like the kingdom, it's incumbent upon the church. It's, it's not our money. It belongs to the church, it belongs to God. The same thing that we have in our, in, we should look at in, in this country, that the money that comes to the federal government is not the federal government that belongs to the people of this great nation. And it's been just really uh, abysmal, the lack of responsible actions have been taken by Congress over the last some 21, 22 years. And, you know, so I worked on a budget. I produced the budget last year under Congressman Jim Banks' leadership at the Republican Study Committee, which is the largest caucus in all of Congress. It's about 160 members of the Republican Party. 
And I asked him when he became chair if I could be the budget chair because I wanted to work on this behemoth of a, of a process. Took five and a half months, had 10 of my colleagues working on my team. This year, I asked to do it again. And, and I, you know, some people would say, you're glutton for punishment. You got it to balance. <laughs> the first time, why don't you let somebody else do it? I wanted to do it again just to make sure that it wasn't luck. And we did it a second time this year. Again, the only budget last year that was produced, the only budget this year that was produced in all of Congress, all of the federal government, and uh, it took us about six months this year. I uh, started working in early December, but it, it is it is a, a sense of pride, honestly, for all of us that worked on the team. I would argue for the Republican Study Committee who endorsed the budget. It's like again, 150 members of the Republican Party. It's made up of bills that have already been written by uh, some 80 plus members of of the Republican Party, 203 pieces of legislation. We have to make these tough decisions. Right now, our debt is approaching $31 trillion. Uh, under the president's budget, which he put out his sort of his uh, directionally, uh, you know, the way he wanted the country to go in, mm-hmm. in early April, and the budget never balanced. It's just mind-boggling that a president of the United States would not look and, and, and be the leader of the free world and say we need to balance our budget. It's never balanced. In fact, over the next 10 years, it would add another $20 trillion to the national debt. Yeah. So we're, we're headed for a destination that is not going to be good for any of us. Well, Representative, uh, one, one thing that President Trump tried is he actually, he actually said, you know, I'm not signing the bill, the budget bill, um, until we get this spending under control. And he, sh- uh, as a result, the government shut down for several weeks. It was a big ordeal back during the Trump administration. Uh, but I just got to applaud him for having the backbone. You know, a lot of administrations haven't even had the backbone to fight. Uh, so should we get that opportunity again, I think we got to push it hard and get Congress on board with balancing the budget. Hey, w- one question I want to get to is um, the appropriation process has been – neglected for um, uh, well over a decade now, maybe even close to two decades. Um, so Representative Kevin McCarthy, the right, currently the House Minority Leader, but after the midterms could be the Majority Leader, he said in a Breitbart interview, he said explicitly, if he is the Majority Leader, he will follow and adhere strictly to the appropriations, the House appropriations process. Do you believe that will happen? Well, I've had a lot of conversations with Leader McCarthy because, again, uh, while obviously the Republican Study Committee is not the entire conference, which we anticipate to be around 240 Republicans, it'll be probably closer to 175 Republicans. And so we're all working together here. We, we, he understands clearly, uh, the future speaker does, Kevin McCarthy, he understands clearly that the American people are demanding that the federal government be responsible with their dollars. And, you know, it's very hard to kind of get your mind around, but if you think about it, it'd be like sitting down at your family table and saying, okay, we're going to allocate, we're going to all agree today, we're going to allocate so much this year for utilities, for house payments, car payments, and our food. And then we're going to put those budgets out there. And then you go to the person in, in the household, usually mom, that goes and buys the food. And once you've authorized this bucket of money for mom to go buy the food, we don't necessarily tell her to buy, you know, this many oranges or this many loaves of bread. That's that's her job, and that's what the appropriators do. They take that and say, okay, here are the things we have to do to keep the government going. We've been authorized this chunk of money, each one of the twelve appropriations committees, and we got to go do our job now. And what we got to look at here is make sure the federal government. So this is where we've gotten in trouble. The 
federal government is doing way more than our founders ever envisioned. You mentioned the IRS mm-hmm. uh, talking about the ammo. I mean, the, 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 what President Trump did was said, we need to protect our great nation. We need to have a strong military. We need to protect our southern border. And if we're not going to do that, I'm going to not fund the government. I'm not going to support that. And now we have the craziness with the Biden administration, the Democrat, becoming, you know, they want to talk about critical race theory. Where did the federal government ever be, you know, talk about critical race theory, that you're a racist the moment you're born if, if you're not of a certain skin color? Where, where do we talk about, you know, this idea that, you know, transgender should be funded? Uh, that's not in the federal government. And what we're going to see, uh, we all believe and pray, is by the end of this month, the Supreme Court, once and for all, is going to acknowledge that the abortion uh, rule law that was set forward in 1973 should have never been done to the federal government. That should have been done at the state level, and that's what you know, we saw in the leaked draft. That's what it said. Nowhere in the Constitution can we see where the federal government has jurisdiction over abortion. And so as we start separating these powers back out like our founders knew that we don't we need a equally strong federal government along with our state government and that we have an equal balance between our our three uh, areas of government that holds each one of us accountable in the proper way. That's when our country will be back to great greatness where it once was. Representative Hurd, back back to back to Kevin McCarthy because I, I I've got to get I got to get to the bottom of this. Look, I don't know Kevin McCarthy personally. I've been following him for years since he's been in the Republican conference. He 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 says the right things, and uh, I don't believe he's trying to mislead anybody. But I've got to I got to hear from somebody that is in the conference that knows Kevin McCarthy. Should he be majority leader? Do do you believe, as a representative who works in the Republican conference who knows Kevin McCarthy, do you, representative, genuinely believe that Kevin McCarthy will stick? to the appropriations process, because this is important for people, for members of Congress that are going to elect a majority leader next next cycle to know where he stands and whether he'll keep his word. Well, that's a great question, because I think anybody that runs for public office, you know, I ran on a set of principles that I was going that I was going to do should I get elected. And that's what your promise is to the American people, the people that are electing you. And that's exactly what I did, and I've been blessed not to have a primary opponent since I, I've gotten in office, and that's after two cycles, because I, the people in my district heard what I said I was going to do and going to do it. The biggest issue we have in America today in politics is people are dishonest. As it relates to future Speaker McCarthy, he is saying things to, you, you heard him, he said, put him out there, this isn't like whisper, this is what he said on, not only to, to media across the country, but he said it to us in our conferences. I know Kevin McCarthy very well. Um, what will happen is if he doesn't uphold those or doesn't do them, then he won't be the speaker very long. And he recognizes that as well because the conference, this is a, the conference of Republican ideology that is anxious to, to save our country. Yeah. And, and if, if Leader McCarthy, uh, McCarthy and, and future Speaker McCarthy doesn't do that, he'll be a one-term speaker. And he certainly understands that. And I wouldn't be making these promises if he didn't have the intent to do them. It's, this is not like the Democrat Party, where there are no term limits on anything. Yeah. On the on on that side, uh, Pelosi just held the gavel of any committee over somebody's head. On our side, it's six years. Whether it's in a minority or majority, you only get six years as the chairman of a committee. And if you don't, you know, if you pass it up, so be it. There's no leverage at that point in time. So if he doesn't hold those promises, he'll be voted out as a speaker. 
Yeah, that's good. And and you know, I don't know I don't know where I fall on Kevin McCarthy yet. You know, it's uh he says things that I agree with. Um but but you know, sometimes I'm skeptical, but I'm about skeptical of anybody in Washington DC, so it's not just Kevin McCarthy. Well, uh, Representative Hearn, I appreciate you you working hard for our country, appreciate you serving uh, the people of Oklahoma and coming on the show and telling us what you're doing uh, to bring our country out of this uh, this this period of darkness. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, I appreciate it. And you know, as we do these budgets going forward, remember these are not just conservative budgets; these are America's budgets. Mm-hmm. Get us back on the pathway to fiscal responsibility, so we have a great nation to give to our kids and grandkids and those that come long after us. So, again, Walker, thank you for getting the message out there every single day. It's uh, certainly great to be on your show. All right, Representative, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, that's uh, Representative Kevin Hearn. He's out of the 1st Congressional District in the state of Oklahoma uh, talking about some of the the major problems that have gotten this country uh, where we are today. And, you know, we we can't have people who don't keep their word. And that was what was so refreshing about President Trump is – he kept his word. I mean, what he said on the campaign trail, he did when he was in office. He did what he, when he was in the office of president. So we, we've got to have more people like that. And, and, you know, looking at this from a nonpartisan lens, we just need honest people in government. We just need honest people. Look, if you say you're going to do something, then do it. And the excuse making is, is, is absolutely unacceptable. The excuse making is absolutely unacceptable. And I, and I, 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 and a lot of this country that we don't buy the blaming it on the other party talking point. I mean, this is what they do all the time. They blame it on the other party, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat. And so we gotta, we gotta, you know, break up the logjam. We've gotta break up the status quo because clearly it's not working. And we've gotta have people that are willing to fight, 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 and get things done. That's what we got to have in Washington, D.C. We need uh, about 534 Representative Kevin Hearns in Washington, D.C. <laughs> that would make up the whole Senate and the entire House of Representatives. Well, AFA at the core, we're going to continue covering these issues and highlighting people who are doing the right thing in our nation's capital. We're going to have on next segment Representative Michael Guest. He's currently serving in the 3rd Congressional District in Mississippi. He's in a runoff now with a uh, camp with a uh, opponent there in the 3rd Congressional District for re-election. We'll have Representative Guest on after the break. You're not going to want to miss it. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. AFA aims to strengthen biblical marriages and equip parents to raise godly children. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. 
Thank you for standing with us. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr, president of the American Pastors Network, a growing national network of pastors committed to the authority of Scripture and preaching the whole counsel of God. We believe biblical obedience is the foundation for revival and impacting our culture for Christ is our duty. For too long, the pulpits of America have been silent on the important issues such as marriage and family and assault on our liberty. Join us in the battle for truth on Stand in the Gap weekend, Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. on American Family Radio, and visit us at AmericanPastorsNetwork.org. Hello? Hey, stranger. Oh, hi. Thank goodness it's you. I was afraid to answer the phone. Why? What's up? The credit card companies are after me. They want me to make payments, and the calls never stop. Ouch. Been there before, but I got help from Trinity Debt Management. Trinity? Yeah. I called, and right away, Trinity contacted my creditors and got my interest rates cut in half. They ended all the late fees and over-limit charges, and they stopped those annoying phone calls. Bet that was a relief. Yep. Then they put me on a plan that consolidated my bills and to one easy monthly payment. That way, I paid off my debt fast while saving thousands. Nice. Trinity even showed me how to plan and meet a monthly budget. So now I'm debt-free for keeps. Wow. Do you still have their number? Sure. Here, write this down and call 1-800-788-1813. Can you repeat that? 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Welcome to Apologetics with Carl Kirby. Carl, everybody knows fossils prove evolution. I hear this a lot. Many Christians miss how the supposed age of fossils is being used to teach a generation to not trust God's word. Christian fill in the blank, the wages of sin is, if you said death yet believe that fossils are millions of years old, there's a problem. God says by one man sin came into the world and death is a consequence of sin. If fossils, which are dead things, have been here for millions of years, then Adam isn't the reason we see death, because death would predate Adam's existence. God makes it very clear that what he gave us was perfect. No death, no tears. We destroyed that perfect gift by our sin. It's not God's fault for the ugliness we see today, it's ours. This is why it's so important to not allow millions of years to be put into the Bible. But don't fossils show change over time? Well, that's for next time. For more tools, check out our website at hopetools.net. Stay bold. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to the Core here on American Family Radio. Glad to have you back with us this last segment of the show. It's a jam-packed show full of content for you. I hope to uplift you and encourage you and provide you knowledge and information that uh, uh, is beneficial to you um, as a Christian and as a citizen in this country. Um, Moving to our next guest, we have on with us Representative Michael Guest. He's a a sitting congressman from the 3rd Congressional District in the state of Mississippi. And uh, we want to have a representative guest on the show. Uh, representative, welcome to the Corps. Thank you all for having me on. Appreciate you letting me bid with you today. Absolutely. And we had your uh, we had your primary opponent on the show a couple of weeks ago, so we wanted to bring you on the show and uh, and give you a chance to tell a little bit about yourself and your position on the issues uh, tell our tell our audience a little bit about uh, yourself. How long you've been in Congress, and a little bit about your background. Yeah, I uh, grew up in Mississippi. Have lived here uh, over fifty years. Uh, married. I had two two boys, uh, eighteen and twenty one. Uh, both will be in college uh, next year. Uh, was educated here, local Brandon High School. Went to 
both uh, University of Mississippi State and Ole Miss, so I'm making myself politically correct for most of our uh, two major fan bases here in the state. Uh, but after I got out, I went straight into prosecution. I, I fell in love with being in the courtroom, working with law enforcement, fighting on behalf of uh, victims of crime, uh, seeing that justice was served. I spent over a dozen years as a, a deputy prosecutor uh, and three terms as the elected DA for uh, my uh, judicial district uh, before running for Congress. Uh, currently in my second term, uh, I uh, replaced Greg Harper, who was in the seat. Um, before I was, uh, and uh, currently serve on uh, Homeland Security uh, and also serve on transportation infrastructure. So it's, it's, it's a great honor uh, to represent the people of Mississippi and our nation's capital. Well, Representative, one of the one of the uh, things that your that your primary opponent said on the network uh, a couple weeks ago when he came on the show is he was criticizing your. Uh, position on Planned Parenthood specifically as it relates to these consolidated appropriation acts, these omnibus bills uh, that go through Congress every year, and how Planned Parenthood is funded through Title X and uh, Medicaid reimbursements in that legislation. Uh, so tell us, tell us uh, about that issue and, and why uh, you believe you're pro-life and your record shows it. Well, you know, I tell you that an omnibus spending bill is a terrible way to run the government. That's what we've seen under Nancy Pelosi as she has been speaker, uh, forcing members of Congress to either vote to uh, shut the entire government down uh, or to find things uh, that sometimes uh, we may disagree with. I will tell you that I do not support Planned Parenthood. I've never supported Planned Parenthood, and I am the only candidate in this race that has been endorsed by both Right to Life and Susan B. Anthony. I'm the only candidate in this race who stood on the steps of the United States Supreme Court addressing the pro-life rally as Dodge v. Jackson was being argued. I'm the only candidate in this race who led the amicus brief to the United States Supreme Court in Dodge v. Jackson, setting forth both legally and factually why Roe v. Wade should be overturned. And I'm the only candidate in this race that if you go to Planned Parenthood's website and if you look at their rankings, they give me a ranking of zero, both last Congress and this Congress. So for my opponents to try to mislead the people of this great state and to try to make them believe that I in any way support Planned Parenthood and what they do, uh, that is a complete factually incorrect statement, and he is misrepresenting my record uh, to the people of Mississippi. Now, Representative, these 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 jumbo bills that are passed every year, called omnibus bills or consolidated appropriations acts, uh, you did title title ten and Medicaid does send money to Planned Parenthood as an organization, and you did vote for the for the omnibus bill in the last two terms. Is that correct? Uh, I voted for the omnibus bill of uh, President Trump's last year in office. It was also supported by all the members of the Mississippi delegation uh, that uh, would have also supported that legislation. So I guess that would make our entire delegation being supportive of Planned Parenthood using the logic uh, of my opponent. Uh, the last time uh, that we had a omnibus bill, it was actually broken down into a defense and non-defense spending portion. Uh, I voted for the defense spending uh, and the law enforcement spending, uh, but I voted against uh, the discretionary spending uh, where most of this uh, Title X funding would have been found. And so, again, uh, these, these were consistent with other members of the Mississippi delegation. Uh, I was not an outlier. As a matter of fact, uh, our uh, delegation uh, was unanimous uh, in, in our votes 
Uh, and so I think that it makes it entirely misleading to the people of Mississippi that I'm anything other than pro-life. Representative, uh, as you as you've been campaigning in recent weeks and months uh, to hold your uh, seat there in the third congressional district, what are some of the issues uh, that you're hearing voters talk about? What are the issues that voters care about uh, this cycle? Well, you know, I think voters care about high gas prices. Voters care about uh, inflation. Voters care about uh, the situation in the southwest border. Voters care about a rising violent crime. You know, if we look at inflation, one of the ways that we control inflation is we stop spending. Uh, the federal government cannot continue to spend billions and trillions of dollars, which we don't have. And one of the things that we're trying to, as we distinguishing ourselves from our opponents, uh, is we're trying to point out that our opponent had a $48 trillion spending plan on his website, that he endorsed Medicare for All, something that would uh, bankrupt private insurance. And really, it will bankrupt the Medicare system that many of our seniors depend on. Uh, my opponent also supported, supported spending of uh, paying people to have children, giving couples $20,000 uh, once they uh, were married. Uh, again, things that we don't have the money to pay for. We're currently running a $30 trillion debt. And so for an opponent to come in and to campaign on spending that would increase that uh, by $48 trillion, uh, I think it's something uh, that the American people should be very concerned about. This is not a conservative plan. Uh, this is a plan more in line of Bernie Sanders and AOC and Elizabeth Warren when you start talking about Medicare for all. And so we're trying to make sure that the people in this district know that we are the conservative candidate. We're the candidate that's been endorsed by NRA, Right to Life, Susan B. Anthony. We have a 95% approval of voting record with President Trump when he was in office, uh, that we have co-chaired his re-election campaign, and that we voted not once but twice on the House floor uh, not to impeach the president. And so we're reminding people of our conservative values, reminding people who we are and what we stand for, and we're also trying to point out the reckless spending plan that our opponent has offered and then when challenged on that uh, spending plan, Walker, he then pulled it off of his website and he scrubbed his website uh, of that plan at all. Thank goodness that, as we were, that we were able to capture that. You know, but instead of him standing up and defending his plan, just like I have been able to stand up and defend my record, uh, he suddenly changed his plan because he thought it was not conservative enough. And so any, but anybody who would put that up and leave that up there for months and then when finally challenged on it, remove that, uh, those people can't be trusted. The people of Mississippi can't trust my opponent that he is going to do what he says he's going to do, and he has no record to stand up. All right, Representative, this is uh, Representative Michael Guest, a sitting member, a representative from the 3rd Congressional District in a runoff. And, uh, Congressman, that runoff is on June 28th. Do I have that right? That's right, a week from tomorrow. That is correct. All right, Representative, thank you so much for coming on the Corps and uh, telling a little bit about yourself and where you stand on the issues. Thank you so much. Y'all have a great day. All right. Thank you. Representative Michael Guest, uh, current U.S. Congressman from the 3rd Congressional District in the state of Mississippi. Uh, that runoff is on June 28th. So June 28th is when that runoff is a week from tomorrow in the 3rd Congressional District in the state of Mississippi. So uh, there you have it. You heard from uh, one candidate and then you heard from the other candidate. So the 3rd Congressional District uh, can make up their mind uh, who they want to vote for on that day, June 28th, in uh, Mississippi. 
Well, moving to some of the other uh, issues I want to get to, uh, this professor that I'm going to play this clip, uh, this professor is um, professor of the practice of economic policy at Harvard University. Uh, he also served uh, as chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors under President Obama. Uh, he's talking about the the problem with uh, oil, with energy, and how we need to make it easier uh, for oil refiners and oil companies to expand and build capacity in this country, something I've talked about. Let's listen to Jason Furman, clip two. Look, at this point, if you want to bring oil prices down, you need to increase oil supply. If you want to increase oil supply, you need to make it easier and more predictable for oil companies, oil refiners to build capacity in this country. Don't think an excess profits tax is the way to encourage more investment and more supply. So I think it's barking up the wrong tree. So he's responding that once again, this is on CNN and this is a Harvard uh, professor. He worked under the Obama administration. His name's Jason Furman. He's talking to, to CNN about how Biden is taking the wrong, taking the wrong approach at going after the oil companies, going after the energy companies. Here's what he says, quote, in that clip, he says, quote, you need to make it easier and more predictable for oil companies and oil refiners to build capacity in this country. That's not from me. That's not from, you know, the Trump administration. This is from an Obama official saying we got to make it easier for oil companies to expand capacity in this country. And he's exactly right. He's exactly right because we have an energy crisis on our hands and it's not brought to us by Vladimir Putin. It's brought to us by the Biden administration as a whole, Joe Biden himself as president and commander in chief. And I covered last week how we have uh, the last oil refinery that was built in this country was in 1977. There have been zero new refineries brought online in the last 45 years. Yet increase, yet, yet demand for oil is at a record high or heading towards a record high. And so we can't expect to for our economy and energy uh, infrastructure and, and, and the energy sector to continue to grow and flourish and expand in this country when we have an entire party that is bent and determined at destroying the entire energy sector. They want to destroy, and this is their words, they want to destroy our current energy sector, oil, natural gas, coal, etc., and replace it with the solar panels and windmills that don't work. And they want to replace it with the lithium batteries from China. This is according to their plans, their documents, Green New Deal. This is not me making this stuff up. But the, the key problem with that is, not, number one, the entire quote-unquote green movement, which I could make a case that oil and natural gas is very, very green for our environment. But, but for the sake of discussion, the entire quote-unquote green movement is built on a faulty and false premise that carbon emissions contribute to global warming or, depending on what day of the week it is, climate change. And that's completely not true. So we absolutely need fossil fuels. The alternative sources of energy, meaning solar and wind, are nowhere near, they're not even close to being at capacity 
to take the place of fossil fuel-produced energies. They're nowhere near. We do not have enough windmills. We do not have enough solar panels to run this country. And, and if that pans out, it would be decades, and I mean, if not a century. I mean, think about how long it took this nation to build out our electric grid. Think about how long it took to build out our electric grid. Electric grid. And we think during one term, during one president's term, that we're going to go from majority reliance, vast majority reliance on fossil fuels, to majority reliance on solar panels and windmills? I mean, you can't even dream this stuff up. Like, you, if you were playing a video game, you couldn't even build the solar farms and the wind farms fast enough until the end of the Trump, uh, Biden administration. And so, so this is totally unrealistic, unattainable, and the American people and the American consumer are suffering the results of these terrible, idiotic, moronic policies of the Biden administration. And they're even admitting now that high energy prices are good for their movement. And, and that's why when, when questioned on this, they keep saying, well, you know, you should just buy solar panels. You should just buy a $60,000 electric vehicle. And then uh, the Wall Street Journal sent out a, uh, they hired out a, a lady to drive the country in an electric vehicle. She went on, a, on vacation in an electric vehicle. Well, guess how many times she had to stop? She had to stop multiple times and spent more time charging her vehicle than she did traveling. And I'm headed to Florida, personally. I was headed to Florida a couple weeks ago. I pull in this big truck stop. Many of you would know the name of it. And they've got these Tesla charging stations. Well, what's this guy doing? He's got his Tesla running while it's plugged up charging, and he's having to take a nap because he's got to let it charge for two to four hours. And so we want to move to that? You really want to have to take a four-hour stop at a gas station to charge your EV. I don't think so. We got things to do. We got places to be. We also don't need our emergency responder vehicles running on battery because what happens when the ambulance runs out of charge? Folks, the agenda is insane and we got to call it out. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.